Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, let's, let's get serious now. Week 3 in Ephesians chapter 4, we are going to pick it up at verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the word of God this morning. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. January 1996. It was a Friday. Don't ask me the date. So the plans were in place. I had inadvertently left the ring and my suit Four hours away in Taylor University, where I was going to school. Well, actually, the suit was there. I didn't leave the ring there because I didn't trust my roommates. Um, the ring was at the jewelers. January, Detroit. My parents made me promise the night before that if it was storming and a lot of snow, that I would not go to pick this up. Because that same Friday, Jennifer was to be driving back from college to meet up for a date. I woke up in the morning about 5 o'clock, probably earlier, look outside, and there's a little dusting of snow. So I informed my parents that I was going to take off, and that if it got too bad as I went, I would make sure to turn around. And so with only one or two inches on the ground, I took off, drove down four hours to Taylor, picked up my suit, drove to the jewelry store, which was about a half hour away, picked up the ring, drove to Indiana Wesleyan University, where Jennifer was at, and left some roses at the desk for her, or with her roommates, I don't even remember now, drove to Toledo, Ohio, which is about three hours away. So we're seven hours of driving in, plus all the in-between stuff, because I was working on painting my grandmother's uh, condo inside, and I needed to finish a few things up, just a couple hours to finish up. So finished up painting, and of course, it doesn't stay just on the brush and the roller. And then I had for the hour and 15-minute drive home. I get home, and at that point in time, it's about 4.35 o'clock. And I uh, wasn't sure where Jennifer was at in the process. But uh, we took, and uh, I, I showered and got most of the paint off, got into my suit, picked her up in her dress, and we headed out for a very special night. And our first stop was Burger King. full suit and dress, and I told her, I said, you can order anything you want off the menu. And she looked at me, and she goes, are you serious? And I said, absolutely, anything that you want, you can order off the menu. So we kind of bantered back and forth a little bit, and I went up, and I ordered, I think, a large Coke or something of that nature, and I looked at her and asked her if she wanted anything, and she said no, and 
So I got my Coke, and we left, and then we went down to downtown Detroit and the Renaissance Center, to which you go up to, like, the 50th-something floor to the revolving restaurant, where I proposed to my wife. We know that there are appropriate places and times to dress in certain manners. We know that we don't usually get all dressed up to go to Burger King or to McDonald's or Subway or anything like that. We also know that if we had shown up at the restaurant in jeans and a t-shirt, we would have been asked to leave. This was the type of place that it was January, we had coats on, that as soon as you entered the door, there's a certain desk there, and they say, may I take your coat for you? And whether you want to give it or not, you give it. Right? So we know, intrinsically, we've been raised in society to know that there are appropriate ways and appropriate attire when we're in particular positions. And this morning, I believe that out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, one of the things that God wants us to know is that he desires we wear his kingdom clothes. God desires that his sons and his daughters wear the kingdom clothes. This is not anything new. First of all, if we back up in Ephesians chapter 4, we understand that we've been talking about God's desire for unity, that the body would be united together. Last week, Caleb and I co-preached. Thank you for the grace to uh, try something different. And uh, and we co-preached on the interdependence that the body needs to have the uber umbilical cord. If, if there's one thing that you ever leave remembering, just remember the uber umbilical cord, okay? You can forget that I brought it up, you, all that kind of stuff, but just remember the uber umbilical cord, okay? So we talked about the interdependence and the, the need that we have for one another, and and that all leads into this need for wearing the kingdom clothing. Paul this is something Paul talks about frequently. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You, you, somebody could probably recite it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. There's a change that takes place. There's a, a newness of the creation. And as we approach the topic it's too often easy to dismiss our involvement. It is too easy, too often, to dismiss our involvement. We're a new creation, after all, so what really needs to be done? And we forget that salvation is a call to followership, not just forgiveness. And in followership, it means I have to follow. See, Jesus didn't invite me to be linked onto a chain and drug along. He goes, I invite you to follow me. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, which we covered about a year ago, uh, maybe even a little bit more than that, we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. That doesn't mean we earn our salvation. It means the salvation that you've received now has to be fleshed out. And we have a participatory role in that. I like what Klein Snodgrass says. Salvation is totally the work of God in which we are totally involved. Salvation is not this passive thing. Now, please understand me clearly. I'm not saying we earn our salvation, but we are actively engaged in the salvific process. 
because we're called to be followers. Jesus in the gospel instructs his virgins to be prepared for the for the wedding, for the bridegroom. He says, be, be ready. In fact, in one parable, he tells them that half of them didn't have enough oil. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. In another parable, he goes, grab people off the streets, but don't let them come in the clothes that they're wearing. Give them new garments. Give them other garments. So there's this call to be prepared. And, and then as Jennifer and I knew, there's a place and a time to wear certain apparel. There is a place and a time to wear sweatpants. There's a place and a time to wear formal attire. We even know this from a psychological uh, and, and secular perspective. We have a phrase, a cliche that we use. Dress for success. What's really interesting about that is I think as we grow older, we're kind of like, I don't really care what people think. I don't care how I look. But what we don't understand is it does have a mental effect on us. When I'm wearing sweatpants to go to a formal engagement, guess how I act in that, in that form. We have significant roles to play in being dressed to represent the kingdom of God. And so we're going to blow through the three elements of what it means to put on the kingdom clothing. Number one. We need to undress. We need to undress. I really wanted to title it, We Needed to Get Naked. But I thought that I would keep it, you know, I don't know, somewhat decent. In verse 22, Paul is writing to the Ephesians. He says, put off your old self. Listen, listen to the words. Put off He doesn't say, sit and let me undress you. He says, you have a personal responsibility. You have a, you have an action you're supposed to take. Salvation has come to you. We'll talk about this in a moment, but salvation has come to you, but you can't just sit and stay where you're at. You need to get undressed. Spiritually, of course. The problem is that a lot of us in our journey, we'll, we'll take the coat off. We might kick the shoes off, and then we'll go, okay, God, that's enough. Woo! Prisoner. We will take off the coat, we'll kick off the shoes, and we go, okay, no more. Shame. Guilt. Many of us as Christians are still embarrassed to get naked before God. God goes, well, Paul says to us on behalf of God, you need to put it off, all of it. Take off the t-shirt, Terry. Well, i got a little bit of a belly now. Maybe if I'd taken it off when I was 18, God. Well, if you'd taken it off at 18, maybe we'd be in a better position than we are now. All the way down to getting your health exam today. Put it off, he says. Put off your old self. He he starts in verse 17. Now this I say, notice that transitional word now. He's moving on from the unity and the interdependence. Now this I say and testify. Because I think 
that what he's trying to say is, in order to have unity and interdependence, we have to be wearing the right clothes. So he goes on, Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Put it off. Get rid of it. See, too many of us as Christians get confused because we stop at repentance. We stop at forgiveness of sin. We don't take the next steps in the journey of followership. And and if we would, it's kind of like Jesus taking us into a car wash. Hey, you're going to follow me. Great. Let's first go through the car wash. And one of the things you have to do is get all the mud and all the filth and all the grime off. You've got to get naked before God. He says, so put it all off. We understand that that to declare true Christianity, followership of Christ, we actually have to follow Christ, right? Christ is the Greek word rendered for the Hebrew word, what? Anointed one, Messiah. Christ in Greek is Messiah in the Old Testament. It's the word we get, Lord. By the way, sometimes we come to that and we're just like, oh, so... So we need to submit to Jesus. Except that in the first century, Lord was understood to be divine. So to call Caesar Lord was to call Caesar divine. Which is why Jesus says, you must say that I am Lord. It's really a recognition of Jesus' divinity, not the authority of followership. But as as Christ is our Lord, we need to follow him, not, not Caesar, not somebody else. And the implication of Jesus' life, why he comes in life, yes, in part, is to die and have forgiveness of sins. That's a small, do you understand that's a small part of his life? It took like a window of this much of his life of this much, right? Because he's ushering in the kingdom. In his life, he's ushering in the kingdom. The long-awaited promise of the kingdom of God when we look through Isaiah and we look through Daniel and we look through Ezekiel and we look through the Old Testament and the longing for the kingdom of God and then Jesus shows up and says, I am the Messiah. What he has just said is, I have fulfilled all of the promises that you have been waiting for. Already, but not yet. But he says, I'm, I'm, I'm introducing the kingdom of God to you and then we see all these healings and these miracles and we th- see things taking place anticipating the fullness of that in the return of Christ. Yet, what we need to understand is that there has to be a shift of allegiance. We have to stop calling the things of this world Lord and following them. We need to put off, we need to undress and begin following Jesus Christ and calling him Lord. And this shift of allegiance from the old way to the new way, sometimes it happens miraculously and instantaneously. Sometimes with the snap of a finger, the words off of somebody's mouth, an addiction is healed, profanity is healed, anger is resolved, and it's all great. Yet most often, it's a process of change. It's a process of shifting allegiances. See, growth in Christ is not really so much more knowledge of Christ. It's more fully shifting allegiances. 
It's that as I'm journeying, I think I'm following Christ fully, and then Holy Spirit just whispers in there, hey, hey, Terry, what, what about this little thing over here? But I'm following you. No, what, what about and growing in Christ is going, oh, so I'm still holding an allegiance over here, and I need to let go of that. I need to undress from it. And before the fullness of Christ's righteousness can be put on display in our lives, we have to undress from the filthy rags of the world. The influences that the world has to offer. We have to shed layers of influence and mindsets and propaganda of the prince of the power of the air. If you look over just, I have to flip a page because I have larger print Bible now. But if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, he says, Paul reminds us, and you're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Sometimes we need that reminder that even born into a Christian home, even raised as a good Christian, we were all following the prince of the power of the air. But God. But God. Paul lists here in this passage a a few of the things, the former manner of life as he talks about it. This is by no means meant to be an exhaustive list. (laughs) Please understand that. But as you go through, as we go through this passage, what we find out, part of the former manner of life is a futility of thinking. Look at how he breaks this down. There's a darkened understanding. There's an alienated from life with God. We are ignorant. There's a hardness of heart. These are things that are present in the former way of life. He goes on then he says, we're callous, we're sensual, we're greedy to practice every impurity. I like that he includes that in there. That we are greedy to practice every impurity. You can go, oh, but I'm not addicted to this. I'm not addicted to this. I'm not addicted to this. Let me tell you something. Sit down long enough and I'll find something you're addicted to. Because our old nature is greedy to every practice of impurity. So guess what? There's a continuous work of undressing before God. He goes on, he says, corrupted and deceitful desires. Turn back one book to Galatians chapter 5. We're just going to pick it up at verse 19 for a moment. Now the works of the flesh, the corrupted self, right? The old self, the the filthy clothes. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. A little more expanded list, but we see replication, right? There's not a finite list. He's not sitting here going, okay, if you're good from these 10 or 12 things, then you're good to go. He's saying these are examples of the corruption of this world. We need to undress ourselves from that. We have to take action to get the stuff off of us. So in what areas am I struggling to spiritually undress? Where am I struggling to spiritually undress? Where do I sit down to spend time with God and we hear a little whisper from Holy Spirit and you're like, I don't have time for that right now, so let's go do this. But Terry, let's, 
let's talk about, no, 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 God, you know what, I'm going to pop in the CD. Okay, I'll turn on my phone. Don't even pop in CDs anymore, right? I'll turn on my phone, you know, Apple Music, start playing some worship music, and God, I'm just going to, and he just goes, okay. Because he's gentle and gracious. And then when we screw up life, we go, God, what in the world? He goes, I tried to talk to you about this. Remember that time when? And yet in his love, and his grace, and his mercy, he goes, so you want to talk about it now? Uh, by the way, that's, that's one of the struggles in Christianity. We want to think that God comes along and goes, wow, I told you. He'd smacked a few more times? No. God comes along and he goes, I know you're hurting. And I wanted to talk to you about this before you got this far in the hurt. Your consequences are your actions. You weren't willing to undress in front of me so we could deal with the issues. So Paul reminds us that in order to actually wear the the clothes of God's kingdom, we have to first undress. What has maintained a grip in my life that I just can't let go of? What what nags at me? Do we understand that identity could be a part of this? The, the clutches of, of Satan telling us who we are, who we should be. We need to undress from that. God, who i got to get rid of this because I need to know who you say that I am. Paul goes on. He says, after you undress, you need to survey the closet. You need to rethink. In verse 20, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And I like I really do think that there's a bit of sarcasm in this. Not condemnation. They're different, sarcasm and condemnation, in my mind. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Because what he says there is he goes, I know this is not the way of Christ, and I know that this is not how we teach Christ, but, but maybe... I want to give you a little grace. Maybe you actually haven't learned Christ. So Paul takes us back to the closet. He goes, you've, you've stripped now. Now here's the closet of clothing, which contains both of our old apparel and the, and the clothes of the kingdom. And he goes, start surveying and decide what are you going to put on. What are you going to begin to wear? And he specifically goes on to say, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23. This is the way you learned Christ. Verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed. Let's let's maybe get into the closet and actually start throwing some stuff out. Some old thinking, some old, you know, things that we used to like. You know, stuff from the 80s needs to be tossed. And from the 70s and from the 60s, verse Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. We, we want to talk about worship a lot. He goes, here's worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Put it off. Undress before God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If we only undress from the filthy rags, but never adjust our thinking patterns, we'll redress with the same things to which we are familiar. All we do is undress and we just reach in the closet. Guess what? Muscle memory. We reach to the same spot in the closet every time. And so if we don't think about it, we grab after the same stuff to put on. We need to have the renewal of our mind. It's like those commercials. I don't remember who's, the, who's there for, but... You know, there's one for a guy and one for a girl, and they go in there and they open it up, and it's all the same shirt and it's all the same pants. You know the commercial I'm talking about? Yeah. If we don't survey the closets and rethink, that's exactly what it's like for us. Because all we have to grab from is the old way of life. It's necessary for us to be regularly engaged in spiritual practices of renewing our minds. Scripture reading, study, meditation, Scripture reading, study, meditation provides God's will, God's thoughts, and God's perspectives. So if all I think of is what my parents wanted me to become, my parents' will, if all I think about is the world's perspective on how to get there and get them done, then where am I going to default? So if I'm not spending time in God's Word, reading it, studying it, meditating, those are three different things. And I need to be doing all three at different levels and at different times. But reading, studying, meditating on God's word, I begin to see God's will. Oh, oh wait. He wants me to actually like help usher the kingdom of God in? I mean, I, I'm not just like this, this mindless robot on planet earth now who says I'm a believer in Christ and have no... No, he, he takes us all the way back to Genesis and he goes, I want you to be recreating That's the charge that I gave you way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. To go forth, multiply, take care of the garden. How many of us consciously think about recreating the cultures that we're in? And yet we're called to do that. What is the will of God? The will of God is that I shine His light into the world wherever I'm placed at any moment in time. That's God's will. We can scratch wrestling with, well, does God want me to be a doctor or pastor? Huh, I like the doctor idea a lot better right now. Um, you know, doctor or pastor? Missionary? Stay home. Do I become a physical therapy assistant? Do I become a, a, a business owner? Do I become, what do I become? God says, well, just shine where you are right now. That is the will of God. Regularly engaged in community. Community provides confirmation and challenge to our thought process. See, when I'm on my own, I can sit there and go, oh, see, it's okay for me to do because it's just me and God. Well, it's me and whatever's rolling through my head. And community allows the opportunity to go, Yes, Christina, I, I see that in your life. I, I hear God saying the same thing to you. Or looking over at Kelly, 
I don't, I can't agree with that. I, I, I know you heard God tell you, but man, when I look at the context of everything as your friend, I, 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 I can't agree with that. Why do we avoid community? Because we like the confirmation, we don't want the confrontation. So the interesting thing is we start to avoid community when we kind of know that we're not doing what we know we should be doing, but we don't want to hear people tell us that we shouldn't be doing what we think we want to be doing at that point in time. So instead of having somebody else speak into our life, we just avoid it. Got all that? I, Terry, not necessarily the Lord, <laughs> say. It's necessary to be regularly engaged in worship. Because worship reorients our perspective from this world to God. Where is my heart's affection? If I'm worshiping God regularly on my own, in corporate context, corporate being two or more, right? So at home with a couple of other people in a small group setting, whatever it is, Sunday mornings, larger gatherings, whatever it is, to truly engage that. I, I hope you've heard me say enough over and over and over. Sometimes we sing a song because we need to be reminded of it. Sometimes we sing it because we believe it. And so we worship because sometimes our minds are in a different direction. God says, I need to bring you back on point. We're disgruntled. We're frustrated. We're discouraged. Maybe borderlining depression. And then we start worshiping God and we're reminded of all that God has done and is doing. And so we reorient our perspective. It's necessary to regularly be engaged in prayer. Prayer aligns our desires with the desires of God. I think, I don't remember if it was Tozer or Lewis, defines, defines and then illustrates prayer in this capacity. I'm on a boat with an anchor, and there's an island, and I toss the anchor to the island. That's, that's my prayer. And as I pull on that anchor, I am not pulling the island closer to me. I'm pulling myself closer to the island. And so prayer is me pulling myself closer to God and his desires. I need to be regularly engaged in, in practicing communion. Receiving God's grace through renewal of his covenant with us. His covenant with us. God knows I blow the covenant all the time. But communion reminds me that it is his covenant with me. And then Thanksgiving, remembering all that God has done and will continue to do. If I fail to regularly practice and engage in my relationship with God, I get tossed back and forth, which is what we talked about last week. We need to become more mature so we're not tossed back and forth. And I get tossed back and forth, which is why James can say that we can bless in one moment and curse in the next out of the same mouth. It's why we can forgive one day and hold a grudge the next. It's why we walk in joy at one moment and then become depressed the next. Because we're not engaged in our relationship. 
So I need to begin to stock a, a new spiritual wardrobe. Clothes that are different than what my past has indicated. Maybe I liked bell bottoms. Now I need to burn them and get something different. Skinny jeans. Yeah. No. I'm going to show up next Sunday and there's going to be an outfit in my office. Just have to remember, I actually have to be able to get into the skinny jeans to wear them. So, anyway. But we need to change up the wardrobe, which is the renewing of our minds. And so where does my mind need renewed right now? Where have I... Where have I been in this process? I, I get naked before God, and then within a short period of time, it's like I'm right back down on the same road. God, I tried so hard. Yeah, but you didn't change the apparel that you could climb into. You didn't change out the closet at all. So you got naked, and then you put the same dirty stuff back on. You went out, and you, you played in the sewer. You took it off. You showered, and you grabbed the same clothes and put them right back on. You need to change what's in the closet. I'm just skipping past. They're occupied. They're good. If you need to see really quick, it's about playing in the mud. How many of us have not played in the mud? By the way, there's going to be a little side soapbox. Well, let's go back to this. How many, hey, hey, kids, are you listening? Just stay where you're at, but listen. How many of you like to go play in the mud and the dirt? Young and old kids, yes. Excellent. How many of you remember a time, perhaps, when your parents brought home new clothes and they told you to go clean up before you could try the clothes on? Yeah. we know we, that's, It's natural for us, right? As adults, we go shower, we do whatever after we've been gardening or whatever work before we start trying the new clothes on. Kids love to play in the dirt and the mud. You know what? We're called to play in the dirt and the mud. Jesus Christ, fully God, moved into the neighborhood. He didn't move into the neighborhood to say, okay, it's time to tidy up. No, he jumped into the mess of everybody's life. We're called to play in the mud and the dirt and the grind and the filth but play for the sake of other people, not for ourselves. And then we clean up, we get naked before God to say, hey, is there anything that latched onto me? Were there any leeches in that mud that I need to like get removed? Was there anything that, that stuck to me, God? Clean me as I shower, put fresh clothes on. My side soapbox for a moment. Because, you know, we grow up and then we're kind of like, you should stop playing in the mud, you need to grow up, you need to change your ways, you need to... Can I remind us, we're called to be childlike, but not childish. There is a difference. We're called to be childlike. A kid goes out and plays in the mud and doesn't sit there and think, oh, what diseases am I going to get from eating this mud pie? Oh, what infections might I wind up with? Oh, what kind of, right? Childlike. We're not called to be childish and throwing the mud on other people and, you know, all that kind of thing. All that to be said. We get naked, we get cleaned off, we change our wardrobe in the closet, 
and then we reach in and we redress. We get new clothing on. We can't assume. Listen, we cannot assume that because we undressed and looked in the closet that we will automatically put on different clothes. We cannot make that assumption that because we took all the filthy stuff off and because the wardrobe has been changed that we will actually reach in and grab the new set of clothing. We can't assume that because life tells us some of us tend to just go pick up the same clothes and put them back on. Oh, I hear a knock at the door. I better hurry up. At least they'll excuse me for being dirty. Turn to Matthew chapter 12 with me. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 43. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, ah, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes and finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Somebody took the clothes off, showered, got a new wardrobe. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first, so it will be also with this evil generation. So they went, they took off the dirty clothes, they got cleaned up, they had a new wardrobe, but they didn't put any clothes on. We're called a new self created in the likeness of God. If you look at Paul, his words in Ephesians 4, verse 24, and put on the new self. Redress yourself. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. The clothes that we put on are not the things of this world, but the things of God. We go back to Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, right? He, he demonstrates and says, this is, this is the evils of the world, This is what you look like when you follow the Spirit. Our minds renewed in the Spirit makes access for the fruit of the Spirit to become present. And then just as he says here, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, two key elements. One is righteousness. Righteousness bears this idea of integrity, virtue, purity of life, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah writes of being wrapped in the righteousness, the robe of righteousness. We're called to be wrapped in the robe of righteousness, but we need to have a correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting, which goes back to changing out the wardrobes in our closet. There's a sense in which righteousness is the shining brightly or shining brilliantly. So when I come out of the house with my new wardrobe on, People's heads turn. They go, wow. Wow, we can't ignore him. If you would, it's an external declaration of our internal belief system when aligned with God. Righteousness is this external declaration of what we say we believe when we're aligned with God have to throw in there that align with God because we say we believe a lot of things but don't actually 
align ourselves with God. So he says righteousness, and then he goes on and he says holiness. Holiness, a freedom from wickedness, undefiled by sin, religiously observing every moral obligation. Do you remember? Oh, this would have been last fall, I think. First Peter 1.16, you shall be holy for I am. And do you remember what we talked about with that? Remember, it's not an instruction. It's a, what? It's an identity. It's not an instruction. It's a declaration. If you take it back to the Hebrew and, and where, it's, where, where Peter was quoting from, what it is is God saying, you are holy because I am holy. And so in the same context, Paul's saying, look, if you're a follower of Christ and you're, you've taken all the old stuff off and you've renewed your mind, then what you put on there is who I am, which is righteousness and holiness. In holiness, we're also set apart for God's purposes. Paul fleshes this out, this whole idea of, of redressing and, and stuff. He fleshes it out in the verses that follow. We'll talk more about these next week. Therefore, having put away falsehood, put off, new wardrobe, put on, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Instead of falsehood, we speak truth. He goes on, be angry and don't sin. Don't give the devil a foothold. He goes on, no longer steal. Undress, redress, work in order to share. You see the the change in mentality. No longer steal. It's all about me. It's me, 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 me. I need food. I want food. I want this. I want that. I'm stealing. I undress. I have a renewing of my mind and I go to work. But I don't go to work, (coughs) excuse me, to make it all about me. If we look at the passage, it says, go to work so that you will have something to share. The old was stealing. It was selfishness. The new is selflessness going Hey, God's given me this job. How do I how do I use it to further his kingdom? He says, let no corrupting talk come out of you. You undress. And he goes, instead, speak what is good for building up, giving grace to one another. A new way of talking because I have a new way of thinking. Even a more clear description, flip a couple of pages over Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Paul uses the same words to a different region of churches. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through you notice in there that 
part of what Paul says is when you're putting on the new wardrobe, unity should be part of that. And dependence upon one another should be part of that. Where do I need to work on redressing myself in Christ? If I undress and I have a whole new wardrobe, but I don't actually grab onto and put on the wardrobe of Christ. I will walk back out and around in the same old dirty clothes that I was in. 